Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to episode 54 of You Me Empathy. This is the final episode of 2018. And we did 54 episodes this year. Technically 55 because there was an episode zero. But that's... uh, We did it, you guys. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of me. I am proud of this podcast. I'm proud of this community. I'm so grateful for everything that um, my guests talked about, everything that we explored on this podcast, the growth that I saw in myself thanks to this podcast. I am, you know, I'm just in awe of you guys and your vulnerability. And uh, let's continue to grow it. Shall we? Let's do that together. This is a this is a mission, an empathy mission, and um, I know you're courageous enough to take on that mission because I hear from you every day via Instagram or Twitter or the Facebook community or you know via your your iTunes reviews. Uh, all of it. It's 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 stunning how beautiful you guys are and we're just a community of feely humans out to spread more empathy in the world and talk about mental health talk about our own mental health and allow others to see that it's not so it's not, it's not too bad it's not so scary to talk about that stuff and you can do it we can do it together so today's episode by the way, Happy New Year's. It's New Year's Day. No, not New Year's Day. It's, it's the 31st of December, 2018. And uh, and uh, so I hope uh, whatever you're thinking about going into 2019, just uh, make sure it's couched in some kindness. Kindness? Kindness and awareness and acceptance. And, you know... You know, very little, actually no 0% of any form of the word or phrasing crushing it or killing it or any sort of um, language like that. I'm not fond of that. Just be kind of your, be kind to yourself. Uh, know that you made it through another year and it's just another day and we have our ups and downs and we have our ebbs and flows, and that's what life is. And as long as you're sort of thinking about your heart, you're leading with your heart, you're embracing empathy, you're being vulnerable, those are the things that matter. Right? Rightio. So uh, have a a safe and wonderful New Year's Eve. I hope uh, 2019 starts off beautiful for you. You wake up maybe with a, a doggy by your side or 
I don't know. You you read a book on New Year's Day, something like that. <laughs> I guess that's me just projecting of what I want to do on New Year's Day. You do you, feel a human. So today on the very last episode of 2018, episode 54, I chat with my friend Daniel Griffith. We talk about his experience growing up in the foster care system, the lessons he's learned in suffering, and the human connections that have saved his life. Um, it's a really fantastic episode. I, I really enjoyed talking with Daniel. He's a really interesting dude, and I like him. He's got a sweetheart, and he wants to make the world a better place, which is the the best thing, which is the best thing. This is what we all should want. So uh, Tony, the therapist, uh, also sits in on this one, so I'll enjoy that little bonus, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. The last thing I wanted to mention before I go, uh, and this is kind of something I wanted to do last minute, and I made it happen. Um, I went back through each episode we did in 2018, and I listed out the empathy heroes uh, that my guest and myself mentioned in 2018, and I'm just going to list them here because, I don't know, there are, I guess it's a reminder that there are many empathy heroes in the world, and they're all around us. And um, to me, that gives me hope, and that makes me happy, and that um, I'm at peace with that. It brings me peace. It, 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 like I said, mostly it's a hopeful feeling. It's also, you know, these are people to look up to as well. So I hope you enjoyed this. Um, the empathy heroes mentioned in 2018 are Adam Hazlitt, Han King, Paul Gilmartin, Becca Hall, Benjamin Dewey's mom, Carl Sagan, Greta Gerwig, Diana Castle, E.E. E. Cummings, Margaret Atwood, Scooby, my dog, uh, Jenny, Eric's girlfriend, Jessica, my wife, Ross, Laura's husband, Laura's parents, uh, Ariana, uh, Laura's colleague, Mindy Hollihan, Jordana's sister, Aviva, Marty Noxon, Kevin Briggs, Wilson Rawls, Alethea's mom and brother, Brene Brown, Amelia Butcher, Maria Bamford, Janice Galloway, Zach Walls, John Brewster Loomis, Tyler, David's girlfriend, Lydia Millett, uh, James, uh, the homeless man, Rich and Cynthia, Emma Gonzalez, uh, me, that was a shocker, uh, Stephanie Whittles-Walks, Matt Colville, Stephen Hawking, uh, Jason's daughter Mia, Mr. Rogers, Marie Catherine, John Peters, J.K. Rowling, The Iron Giant, Elizabeth Lame's mom, Brooklyn Prince, um, the character Mooney from The Florida Project, Phil Oakes, Ellen Ripley, Robin Steinberg, David Fee- uh, and David Feig of The Bale Project, Nate Powell, Jen, Michelle's friend, Victor Hugo, The Great British Bake Off, The Yumi Empathy Community, Erica Livingston, uh, that's Lindsay's friend, Becky Leonard, Janessa, Karen's uh, teacher friend, Karen Nicole, Haley's husband and friend Madison, uh, the authors of Pasadena Loves YA, Carrie Arcos, Lauren Miller, Brandy Colbert, and Marissa Reichart, 
Stephanie's husband, Joseph Campbell, Temple Grandin, Ursula Le Guin, Anne Lamott, Julia of How Am I Feeling, Alan Alda, Maria Popova of Brain Pickings, Don Cheeto's character in Rain Over Me, Elizabeth Lame, Desmond Tutu, the kids from E.T., Joseph, Rebecca's husband, Maria Harrison, uh, Brene Brown again, M- M- Mary Oliver, Audrey Lord, Lydia Millet again, uh, Robin's dad, uh, the realtors that we had for our house, uh, Julia's best friend, Elizabeth, Francie, Danny's uh, six-year-old daughter, uh, waste management, customer support uh, person, Angelica, uh, Aaron's eight-year-old son, Ender, and Miss Millie Butterbuns. So those were the Empathy Heroes of 2018. Wasn't that fun? Any hoozles. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I, I love you guys. I, I'm so proud of all of us. We're in this together. We're in this empathy journey together. And uh, let's make 2019 even, even bigger and brighter and more beautiful. Okay? Let's do that together. So enjoy this episode episode 54 with my guest Daniel Griffith on foster care and lessons learned in suffering. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand-in-hand, Break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. You Me Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I am honored to take another empathy journey with philosophy nerd, wanderer, and mindset ponderer, Daniel Griffith. Hello, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Happy to have you. Daniel uh, is here in studio, listeners, and it's very excited. Tony is also here to do a little color commentary. Yeah, I'm, I'm having, hey, Tony. Hey there. This is a color. special, this is a very special episode. First time have, ever done, right? First time we've ever done a regular right. episode with Tony in the studio. So Tony's this is my very exciting. handler. Tony, <laughs> Tony's Daniel's handler. Um, so very excited to have you, buddy. I, I cherish you. I appreciate you as a human, and I'm excited to delve into your story. Before we do that, though, we always do an emotional check-in. How are you feeling today? How's your week been? Um, I'm feeling nervous just because I'm like talking about my life. And it's sure. weird because uh, a lot of it's like hidden to people. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I have this underlying feeling that I feel like everybody knows about what's going on and what's happened to everybody. Like they yeah. know their backgrounds, but they're not aware of it. 
So it's like my closest friends all know me and they know everything that I've gone through. But I think for a lot of people, like I'm just this really happy, silly guy. Sure. And then when I they like see something intelligent come out of my mouth, they're just like, I don't know where the fuck that came from. Like, what the <laughs> hell? But uh, I'm a pretty serious person. And lately I've been really active on the nonprofit I told you about that I'm yeah. going to start, which is going to be for like emancipated foster kids, children who... I've just been abused or can't afford therapy because I think therapy is really cool. And I would like to make a way for not necessarily therapy, but I'll probably talk about this through the podcast. But basically, um, I got really lucky with everybody I ever met my whole entire life. Like they made me who I am through like pieces of them. And they, they saved me from killing myself. Like, and a lot of them never knew that. Yeah. But it's just like, it was these emotional connections that I made. That saved me. So I want to start a nonprofit where kids have emotional connections that save them. Because if they're in foster care, they're in hell. They're like already somewhere they don't want to be. They're already somewhere where they don't really understand the concepts of love. Yeah. They're not getting that. Like if they are, they're not getting it in the right amount. They're not getting it in the right environment. So just having a friend who's going to listen to you, whether it's a therapist, a life coach, or just somebody who who wants to make that connection with you is going to mm-hmm. make all the difference in the world. And it's not necessarily just foster kids. It's just people in general because it's like shit like if my it's like we'll use like an example like say you're um you're growing up in a home with uh two parents and one of them abusive and then they end up getting a divorce like and you take custody and the other person's like not involved anymore like you want them gone like and you think that's the right call it's cool but the kid's still gonna be hurting like they don't understand why like what happened to them happened and they might not be able to talk to you about that because you might have like a biased image of your partner sure like yeah like but it's just good to get them a friend and have them go to some place where they feel safe. Yeah, I love in any that. Way. Like it's good. It's it's healing. It yeah. makes you more resilient to everything that you went, you go through. But that's what I've been working on. Getting way too into philosophy. Not really gonna not really gonna talk about that because that'll get me into some crazy rabbit holes and we'll lose track. No worries. Yeah, no worries. But, we'll go wherever we want to go. Yeah, yeah. But that's other than fine. that, I'm pretty good. Like okay. uh, for the most part, I'm always happy. Yeah, I'm a very happy person. Well, I, I, I thank you for sharing that, and I, I really am excited to talk more about uh, the work you're doing and the nonprofit you want to create, um, and your story, of course. I think that uh, what is interesting to me, and we'll get into this, is is the the aspects uh, of you know parts of your friends or, or or people you know know you as this one thing, right? Yeah, and uh, maybe others know you as perhaps a different thing based yeah. on what you've shared uh, with them. And I think that that's an interesting thing. And I think that's probably something we can all relate to, right? Yeah. Because we don't all share. Not everyone's like me and uh, just wants to share all of my deepest, darkest secrets with everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Not everybody wants to hear it. A lot not of everyone wants to like, hear it. Yeah. This dude needs to chill the fuck out. Yeah. Dude, what's he talking about? Yeah. So um, I, I relate to that. And... Um, so let's get into it. I I, I want to hear maybe. Um, you have a fascinating story. I know the I know the touch. T- I know yeah, the little beats, so but walk me through maybe. Uh, um, we're gonna start from little, the beginning. Let's start from we the beginning. Start from the Do beginning, it. Because uh, let's go. Day one isn't good. Uh, Kierkegaard has a quote, and he says that everybody comes into the world crying and nobody asks if they wanted to come in and nobody cares when you die. Oh, yeah. Like, nobody cares asking. Uh, Something along those lines. But yeah, I came into the world crying. Um, And in utero, 
Well, I don't know how many days, so I'm not going to say that. But the day I went to the hospital, my mom shot up on heroin. Mm. And I got taken away from her. Like, she immediately lost custody. Yeah. There's there's a silver lining here, and there's a lot of thought. I'm not going to really go into the silver linings and all the good things as I tell the story. Okay. Because I think suffering is a great thing in a really unique way. I think it really expands consciousness and the ability to think. And I think pain is power as long as you don't let it overpower you. And I think that's the hard part is finding that balancing act. But I think once you come out of it, you come out way stronger and way better and way more resilient. And then you now have the ability to go in and save anybody else who's drowning in the same waters you drowned in. Absolutely. That's what this show is all about. Yeah. And that's what people should do. Like if you're in a bad place, like the best thing you can do is make yourself better and go help people who are in your situation. Absolutely. I think that's like a beautiful thing. And if you don't think you have a purpose, it's right there. Like... That's what you can do. Help others. Yeah, you just go and help others. Take your experiences. But you got to take care of yourself first. Absolutely. That's, that's one Absolutely. of the most important things. So you were born yeah, yeah. crying. Yeah, I was born crying. And uh, yeah, I got taken away from my mother the day one. Mm-hmm. They called uh, foster care. Or uh, I don't know who they called. But I ended up getting planted in a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and these people ended up adopting me two and a half years later. But before then, my mother tried to get me. And I was really mad about this, like, basically my whole life because I always just thought my mother relapsed. And she did. She relapsed. And she stopped showing up and she couldn't pass drug tests. And then I ended up just being completely stuck in the foster care system. Like, my mom disappeared, basically because my father. My father was a meth head, too. Mm -hmm. Um, They're both illegal immigrants, I believe. That's what I was told. Um, I had one sister. Her name was Stephanie. She was a year younger than me. And I had an older brother named Benny. Um, both of them are dead. From the same parents? Yeah. I think Benny was a half brother and I think there's multiple half brothers and sisters, but the one that I always held onto was my sister, Stephanie. Right. And she helped me a lot through my life. Like a lot. I never met her. Um, I had a dream about her once and that was about it. But for the most part, like we'll get into that later because recently I found out she passed away when I went to live for her, which was a big bummer. But anyways, so... Yeah, it sounds really cool. Like, I got adopted. Like, yeah, I'm safe now. Like, I'm in a new home. But it's like, no, I'm in a foster home with other kids, and other kids aren't nice. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so for a good majority of the years, uh, I don't know, like, the exact age, but basically until I could fight, like, basically in, in, when, at the point when I became vulnerable to a predator, like, obviously, nobody's going to be hurting a baby. But the second I could be abused, I was abused. How old were you? Like five, six? Yeah, we'll say like five, six. Like I was abused by other kids. Um, I was sexually abused. I was physically abused. By all the other kids? Not all the other kids. It would be, it was like hit or miss. Okay. um, Older kids. Yeah, yeah. They were always older because they could pick Mm -hmm. on me. And it was until I could fight back that they would stop. But like, obviously it sounds like, oh yeah, like you're such a, like you're the victim. But it's like at some point I was probably the bully too. Because at some point, like, I probably wasn't always that nice to other kids just because of what happened to me. Like, it's like... Well, you're, you yeah, know, yeah, I you're mean, in a situation yeah, where you're being abused again and again, you know. It, yeah, yeah. it, it makes sense you'd you develop this this skin and this reaction. Yeah. You know, that's a perfectly natural reaction. Yeah, yeah, it is. But at the same time, it's like... It's hard to yeah, be yeah, in that it place. It's hard to be in a, in a an aggressive or an abusive yeah, yeah. place, especially when you're a sweet guy like yourself. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I just want to, well, that's what I'm saying is I wasn't always sweet. Like I had a demon inside of me that protected me. Like, clearly. What does that mean? Um, like I was mean to other kids. Like I would see other kids who were going to bully me and I would just know how to bully them first. Like they would come through the door and they would come into my house at that point. And yeah. it wasn't like, 
I was going to roll over and let them hurt me if I thought they were going to hurt me. And my, like, Tony can talk about this because it's like a psych, it's a psychology thing, but it's like my ability to read people was like through the roof. So well, you, it had to be. Yeah. It, you developed a, and you developed a survival mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Like my fight or flight skills were like yeah. through the roof and I couldn't fly. So I had to learn how to fight. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. Though. I mean, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it, but it's just like, it's that's difficult. a monster that's in me and I know it's in everybody. Yeah. Like, but they don't recognize it. And I think recognizing that you're capable of bad things is good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good to know how you'll respond in a really tough situation. And it sucks to learn that, but it's like a silver lining. Like, it's a good thing. But um, I never told my parents. I didn't. Well, I kind of would tell them, like, yo, this kid's kind of hurting me, but I didn't really know what was going on. How many kids were in the foster home with you? Um, We did foster care and respite in the home, and I think there were probably, I'm just going to say 50. But we'll say 50, and we'll say I had conflicts with 12 of them. Okay. Like, conflict, whether it was, like, me being mean or them being mean. And when I say me being mean, it's not like I was like a terrible monster, but it was just like I would manipulate them into getting kicked out of the home. And I don't think my mom knows that. Mm. But like if I saw them like them having the ability to cause problems, I would make sure they were gone. But some of them I couldn't ever get out because it was just like they'd been kicked out of too many homes. And my mom has a big heart and she didn't want them to get kicked out. Like, she Did you feel them. protective of your mom? I was very protective of my mom. I was extremely protective of my mom. And there were times when I would like, there there were kids that were like, maybe be like twice as big as me. Like I would be like eight and they'd probably be like 14. And they would be like yelling at my mom or getting close to being physical with her. And even little eight year old me would like step in and be like, nah, like that's my mom. Like, so did you ever talk, you know, first of all, my heart goes out to you and, and dealing with such, uh, trauma, physical uh, and sexual at such a young age, did you ever talk to your mom about that? Did you feel I, like you had that opening? I did later, but I never wanted her to know about it. Like, that's my that was my biggest mm. issue. And, um, yeah, I never wanted my mom to know. Why do I, you think that is? Because I knew her. Like, I didn't want my mom to be sad. I didn't want my too mom... Too much of a burden. Well, it's like her. my mom's trying to save all these kids. Yeah. And, like... The one kid she adopts, like, to hear, like, oh, yeah, this kid got me in, like, the one I really tried to save, like, the one who I wanted to join my family, like, he got screwed up. Like, that's not, you don't want to hear that. You don't ever want to know that as a parent. Yeah. And I knew that as a kid. And Tony and I were talking about that earlier. It's like, the parent's role is to protect the kids from the outside world. It's not, the role is not supposed to be reversed. It's not supposed to be me protecting my parents. Of course. But that's what it was, because it's like, at some point I did, and I'll get to that. But, um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Well, we'll get to that then. We'll just go there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, no, I know what I was going to say. I, was gonna, I didn't like my life at all. I would, like, hide in the closet a lot. I would try and play video games. I think I cried until I was nine, like, literally nine, um, about my mom. Like, I felt so abandoned. I felt alone. It wasn't like I was in a safe place. I was in a place with other kids who hurt me. I was in a place with kids who had it worse than me. I was in a, in a place with kids who could go home and see their parents, and I envied that. And even though I was adopted and I only saw my mom before I even turned one, like, I missed her. Like, there was some crazy biological connection. I always thought about my sister because I always hoped she had it better than me. And I always wanted to make it out of my home just so I could make sure she was okay. Yeah, because I, I I never met her, but I loved her. Like that was my blood. Like I knew she got to stay with my parents, and my parents were screwed up. And I always just thought she had it way worse than me for some reason. 
And in the long run, she did. She had it way worse than me. Um, but yeah, I hated school. Like, I absolutely hated school. I've, I'm dyslexic, um, which is funny because I absolutely love to read. And I was always in, like, the dyslexic programs, which never mm -hmm. made me feel any better about myself. Sure. But even in that, that like, thing, I think in the second grade I could do algebra, but I couldn't, I couldn't read until about the third grade. So, that always anno that, that annoys me now because it's, like, it's, like, the thing, like, yo, there's a flaw and then there's something really good, but we're going to focus on fixing the flaw. Mm. We're not going to focus on elevating the gift. Mm-hmm. So, like, that really bugged me. And Tony can talk about that because he knows me pretty well and how I view education. <laughs> Probably because of all of that. Like, it's really frustrating for me. But, um, yeah, and then, uh, then I got moved to a Christian school, and I was raised religious my whole life. Well, At what age were you moved to this school? Um, it was the sixth grade. And I met... Were I, you at public school for yeah, that? Yeah, I was at public school. And I really did not like going to the Christian school because I was losing my friends. Why were you moved? Um, so originally I was at this, this Christian school, it was Calvary, in preschool. Mm. And then they realized I was dyslexic. And they're like, we don't, have any, we don't offer anything for these like, kind of kids. Like, we can't help them with his learning disabilities. So they sent me to public school. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. But I think it's because it's a private school and they just don't have the resources. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. like... Gotcha. I mean, they told my mom in preschool because like... They didn't want me to have to deal with them not being able to provide me the help they wanted. Mm. But then in the sixth grade, it was like, okay, he can read, he can write, he's he's caught up, he's fine. Like, we'll send him back because my mom really wanted me to have a Christian education. She's she's a Christian. Um, my views on God are probably pretty different than hers, uh, and we don't really need to get into that because we just see things a little differently. Sure. But um, yeah. So in the sixth grade, you went to this new school. Yeah. And then I had to make new friends. But the thing is, I re reconnected with some friends from preschool. And I can say I'm probably one of the only people that I've ever met who has a best friend that they had in preschool. And I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool, dude. <laughs> I know two people who have best friends in preschool and I don't feel special In your face, anymore. Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck me. But no, um, so yeah, like I, in this, it sounds terrible, but what really saved my life was just having all the friends that I made. And I made this friend in, in preschool and his name's Kyle. And we're still best friends today. He it's amazing. He lives out of nowhere. And then in kindergarten, I made my best friend Lucas. And we've had our differences, but he's still one of my best friends. And it's just like... I got really lucky. This is when I was talking earlier about like the pieces that people share with me and I share with them saved my life. And it's like these friendships really saved my life because I never, ever had to feel scared or worried when I was at my friend's houses or anything like that. And they or, didn't have to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, I think, I think you're so right in pointing out the, um, how powerful our connections can help in our own yeah. journeys. I was just thinking about this yesterday, thinking about the time I was in Wales and, and sort of dealing with some, some darkness myself. And the people around me were just very caring, very kind. They didn't understand what was going on. Yeah, they don't have to. But, but they don't have a, to. It's, it's just the, the connection. It's just, yeah. the, it's just the connections you make. Yeah. It's a safe place. Like those relationships safe. become safe places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then this is uh this is probably one of the best things that happened to me. And I don't want to take this away from my the parents who adopted me because they're wonderful and I love them to death. But I forgot to mention, and I was with them this morning. I was with my godparents, and they they are the ones who really saved me. And I, they don't know this, 
but they um they found me when I was six months old at a thing for foster children called ARC. And the foster children got to go. It was just to give like the foster parents some time away so they uh, can like do stuff. It was kind of like maybe like a two, four hour daycare where you get to go and play in the park and stuff like that. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. And I met my godmom there and she really liked me. So, you know, I was networking at six months old. So <laughs> it's a gift. Well, it's not to like. Yeah. yeah starting young. But uh, yeah, they just fell in love with me. And I think until I was maybe like 14, 15, I went over to their house every weekend. And that's like the connection I want to replicate in my nonprofit. I mean, maybe not that intimate, but actually the goal would be to be that intimate, to have a place where you feel that safe. And it's like I went over there and I got to be away from all the foster kids. Yeah. And it was just me and my godparents. Oh, man. And I got to feel like what it was like to be with a family. So, like, even though I was sad and beaten, it was like I could put all that behind me. Mind you, I would still deal with it. Like, I still, there was never a time in my life where I thought I could bury everything that happened to me. And yeah. I got lucky with that thought because I think that's helpful. Like, I knew I was going to have to deal with it. But just having these two people in my life, they made it so much easier. Like, even going to school, being scared I wasn't going to have friends or whatever. Like, I still had my godparents. Like, you had a break from it yeah, yeah, momentarily. Like, new kid. And it's funny because I was really protective of my godparents. Uh, my godmom was telling me that I think I was like two and a half and she picked up another baby at ARC and I walked up and I hit him in the face. And I was just a little kid. And I'm pretty sure that was completely intentional. Like, oh, I'm a two and a half year old dicking around. No, I probably did that on purpose. And I'm happy I did that. What What kinds of, describe the environment when you were there at your godparents every weekend. Like what, what did you guys do? What were they like? Um... So usually they would just say it would spoil the shit out of me. Yeah. Um, and they know that. <laughs> but they would take me to the store. I would just come over there. I would just be able to watch movies. We'd go to the park. We'd play outside. Um, they would read me stories at night. We would play games. Every Saturday morning I would come into their room and I would rip the covers off their bed. And I would lay on the ground. And I don't know why. I just liked waking them up knowing they were next to me. And uh -huh. I would turn the TV on in their room. That's sweet. And then, um, yeah, I never wanted to leave there. Like, I loved it. And I remember I was very protective. Like, if another foster kid was going to go over there, it was not going to happen. Like, I was not <laughs> happy about that. But, yeah. I find, this, I, I find this image of, like, you holding on to these these moments and these things that, that you know are, like, anchoring and grounding and helpful for you yeah and yeah. you're very protective of it it's it's uh yeah it should it be. makes sense yeah everyone yeah. should if you find something like that and your life's not that good you should you should be protected hold on it. with your dear life yeah yeah because that's that's what's gonna save you yeah but yeah it was basically like i lived in two worlds i lived in heaven and hell like over like there it felt like heaven and at my house it felt like hell and like i said i don't want my parents to think that that was their fault um we can talk about that too like I told them I was being hurt and they didn't know the extent of it. And it's, I mean, Tony can, Tony might have a different definition of it, but to me it was just kind of being overly empathetic for the other hurt children mm. because it was just like, you don't want to see, you know, they're hurt and you know, they're the victim of things and you don't want to believe they're really hurting your son for one. Like, you know, they're hurt. They've been hurt. Yeah. You know, your son's sad. Cause my mom knew I was sad. She, I would openly cry about like wanting to go home to my real parents mm. for like a good while um so it's just like she just she didn't want to see that and it's yeah. not her fault but yeah like now i i live at home 
And I told this to my mom the other week. So I'm jumping to the future, maybe like two weeks ago. But I told her the biggest reason I like living at home is because I'm finally with my mom and dad. And I so mean, these I'm, are your adopted parents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but okay. I'm finally with my mom and dad, and I'm 26, and there's no depression, there's no anxiety, there's no fighting. There's just an annoying family dynamic where my mom asked me to do stuff around the house that I don't like, which is probably normal, um, especially <laughs> the for most age. normal thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. but like. I'm not going to have them forever. And I finally got what I wanted. And it wasn't in the time that I wanted, but it's right now. So I'm really grateful for that. And I do pay rent to live at home, which kind of sucks, mom and dad, but like, <laughs> it's cool. It's not the end of the world. Oh, um, these millennials. Am I right, yeah, Tony? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah. So, Daniel, tell me about, you know, you're, you're experiencing all this trauma as a child. You, you know, you move to this christian uh school in the sixth grade at what point are you starting to look at that period of your life and find some peace with it find clarity in it um at what point are you reconciling those are you still working through that i'm sure I, i worked through it for a while but i always have this mindset that it's better me than my sister and that's like one of the first mindsets i have like i think my sister has a bad i have to get out of this to protect her but it's better that I'm the one going through this than her. Why do you think that is? Why do you um, think that, yeah? I think it's because I just created this object in my mind, which is my sister, to protect myself. Because like that, give, I'm giving myself hope. I'm hope. giving myself something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And um, it might not have been that either. Like I might just have hated myself so much that I couldn't say, I need to do it for me. I need to do it for her. Yeah. So it could be a combination of the two in that. And it probably was because I really did hate myself. I wanted to kill myself for a long time. Um, and then I met this kid and this is probably one of the most significant things that happened to me. Cause as I told you, like I wasn't the nicest kid. Um, I was mean, I was manipulative. I wasn't happy. Um, but there was this kid I was playing games with and his name was Preston and he was a little guy. And, uh, I remember every time I would play games with him, I never really thought anything of it, but I was really nurturing. I was like, I would always take care of him. I would make sure he was doing well. And it was just all about him when we played games. Hmm. And he looked at me and he's just like, I wish my, I wish you were my dad because every time I come home, my dad beats me and he beats my mom. And he's like, you're the nicest person I've ever met. Like, you're so nice to me. I just wish you were my dad. And I remember that moment just like, that stuck with me for, it's never going to go away. But I was just like, yeah, what a gift that is. I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm a monster and I need to shape up and like, I shouldn't want to kill myself. Like. Cause I need to help kids like this, like mm. this, this poor little guy, like, and it was always easier for me to look at other kids and see their pain than look at myself and see mine. And that was probably like, that. probably not a selfless thing. It was probably just me trying to avoid dealing with my own issues. Oh yeah. yeah. That's the most normal thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Cause it's like, oh, I can make them bigger. But in reality, you need to take care of yourself more than anybody else. Cause if your leg's broken, how are you going to walk over to somebody and help them with their broken leg? Yeah. Like you're not, yeah. you're not, you can't. Um, what a gift that is you in that moment, feeling suicidal, feeling so much anguish and pain and, and wanting to end your life. And then he coming to you and, and validating your own yeah. reality, validating your own existence and, and this capacity for love that you do have. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. uh, I think he showed me a love that I didn't know was there. And there was a book that Tony had me read. Um, I forget the name of it. I forget what it was about, but I just remember it opened up with a line that said, the heart has to break for it to open. Hmm. And I really liked that because yeah. I think it's true. Like you have to suffer a little bit to understand like what true love is. 
mm-hmm. in a certain way. And like I suffered and that kid, he came and he opened up my heart because he showed me the other side of the coin that I had an experience. Well, I had with my godparents and I had with my parents too because we had good, we had a lot of good times too. But um, it was, that just was like a definitive motive for my life. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. What moment? Moment, yeah, yeah. What um, what tools? What things have helped you in facing these traumas? No, therapy, uh, therapy, self-talk. Like, yeah, therapy, self-talk, philosophy. Um, biggest thing is probably empathy. So I'm gonna finish, and then I w- you should write down that like this note because then we can go back. Okay. Because I think empathy is a. Uh, pretty significant wait am i just putting empathy on this yeah, note? yeah you put empathy. i think i'll get to uh, empathy you uh, <laughs> meet empathy podcast yeah. oh all right cool can you remember that i think i'll remember oh, that yeah, yeah all right cool um but yeah empathy is a very big tool but we'll get into that so now i'm at this school and uh i don't really like it i don't know anybody i i end up making a lot of really great friendships that i still have today uh, i love all those friends to death i love all my friends so much uh yeah. And um it sounds like you have a lot of love in your heart, Daniel. I do, but I think it's a, it's a balance. Like I think I'm very lucky because I don't think you get to heaven without rooting your your roots in hell. And I think I grew up in hell, so hmm. I know what it's like cuz you can say you don't believe in hell or you can say you believe in it and people who are bad are going to go there, but I can tell you right now that hell's right here on this planet and there are people in it right around you. And if you can get them out of there like you have no other choice but to do that. Be here now. Yeah, yeah. Like they're in there and that's no place for anybody to be. And then once you get them out of there, then like you can settle for just being out of hell and you can be bored and content with your life or you can try and make the world a better place and put your branches to heaven and then bear fruit for everybody to pick. And that's my goal. I love that. That's beautifully it's said. A, it's a two sided coin. Like, um, but better to be a whole person than just a good person. Like, know what your monster is. So, I like... That's why I talk about that. It's like, I, I like know it. what I'm capable yeah. of and it validates the good I do. Because I know what I could be and I know where parts of my mind want to be. But I'm so far from that now that it makes me appreciate the love in my heart. And it, you're, you're being realistic. You're, being, you're cognizant of the reality that life is pain uh, at times yeah, yeah and life is joy at times yeah, yeah if you got a pulse you got a problem and that's not saying the pulse is the problem i was telling tony this last night uh the problem is that you're existing and you're always going to have some kind of conflict going on sure. whether it be like a relationship like it doesn't even have to be it could be a good conflict like you could be just stuck somewhere in two good places or it can be a bad conflict but either way like it's not always going to be fun it's not always going to be bad and like it's so many things and they all complement one another. Yeah. Because, like, if my life didn't suck so much, like, I wouldn't be as happy as I am now that I overcame it. Like, I would just be this dude cruising, like, oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, if you if you had a good life and you got to just stay with your parents and they never got divorced and you never had to experience trauma, good for you. I, I used to envy that a lot. But I appreciate everything that I learned from my life. And I think if you have my situation or something along those lines like you need to learn how to do that because you can pull so much from that absolutely and you can go and you can teach the people who didn't have that what it's like and yeah 
What, uh, tell me about some of the philosophy that you've found that really has connected to you uh, and that, that, have helped, that has helped you. Um, shit, I'm fascinated. This is going to get... No, that's fine. Me. We don't have to get into, you know, your whole philosophical so the, uh, underpinnings. Well, no, but my, my philosophy is crazy because it's, um, it's just going to sound really weird. And I don't think people are going to grasp it right away just because it's probably not something you've ever read before, but. That's fine. Uh, this is the, this is, you heard it here first, folks. The, the philosophy yeah. of Daniel. Yeah. Uh, I think we're the same person in a way. And I will pull As back. in you and I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think there's a you and I. I think there's just a we. There's a we. just an us. There's sure. just us moving in a direction. That's that's Buddhism, right? And I think so. But I think it, you can like pull it out and you can see it just through the connections. Like you and me are making connections and we're like sharing. And yeah. there's something going on that we probably can't even see in terms of just being in the same room with one another. We're like sharing an experience and you're pulling something from me and I'm pulling something from you through the questions you ask. So right there, we've created a connection. So to think that like we're one big soul and interlinked isn't that big, like far-fetched for me. Mm-hmm. And it's very productive because in that, like you should be taking care of everybody around you. Sure. You should be benefiting them. Um, their success will seep into you and their um, unsuccessfulness will seep into you too because it's like you, you, we can do this on a really surface level. I see you and you're having a good day. My interaction with you is going to be a lot better than if you're having a bad day. And coming from a good interaction with somebody means I'm going to be in a better mood. So when I go home and I talk to my, my dog, We'll just say dog because we'll leave it at that. We don't need to do because you talk to your dog. Yeah, yeah. Because I talk to my dog, (laughs) I'm going to be in a good mood. I'm probably going to want to play. Wilbur. (laughs) Uh, I have two dogs. One's named Samson. One named Wilbur. Uh, Wilbur bites people, but I love them both. Prime example of a good and bad coming together, making a family, being whole. But uh, Tony does not like Wilbur. I like Wilbur. (laughs) I just wish Wilbur liked me. Wilbur, yeah. Well, Samson's awesome. But yeah, so it's like I could come home and I could just be in a bad mood and just walk past my dog. And it's like in that, my dog doesn't get the same affection he would have just because of an interaction I had. Um, but it's, it's like a complicated thing. Well, it's actually not even that complicated to me. It's so simple because it's like I've had people ask me, well, what about people you don't like? And um, that's the best part about it is because go look in the mirror. You're going to find a ton of shit you don't like. Go mm. look at yourself. You're not going to be able to tell me that you like everything about you. So if we are one body, it makes sense that you're not going to like everybody. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, how many things do you want to change about yourself? Because I can probably give you like a hundred item list right now. And totally. I love myself. Yeah. But that doesn't mean there's room for improvement. And then certain parts of the body aren't meant to interact with other certain parts of the body. They, they, they make it whole. Like mm. they all connect. But like... They don't all... Are you talking about like wet willies and ears? Yeah. That's like fingers and yeah, ears type yeah, thing? Like fingers and ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like my teeth and my feet don't core. Like they, there's, no, there's no connection there, uh-huh, but it's uh-huh. all part of a team. And then I think you have... Uh, I think you do have evil people in the world. Hmm. And uh, How do you define evil? <sighs> don't, don't give me... <laughs> don't give me down I, I that. Know, I know that... <laughs> You have a, a brain like this, so I'm yeah. fascinated. Um, we can get started. Well, I, I think mean, if you don't want to get started, it's your space. But well, no, no, no. I mean, you and I can get started after, but I want it to be more focused on the story. Okay. Or we, if we have time on the end, you can write that down and ask me. I don't that. need to write it down because I think evil, <laughs> evil is so beyond what I think people think it is. Like, so let me let me connect it to mental okay, health I'll, for you. Hold I'll, on. Okay. 
I I completely agree with your philosophy. I I, I agree one hundred percent. I I do think that we as humans are connected to each other. Yeah, and I think that um, looking at the world and knowing that you can potentially impact another in a positive or negative way is a really beneficial way to look at the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I would argue it's very uh, Buddhist. I would argue it's very uh, Jesus-like yeah, as yeah. well. And if they're you, you better fucking take care of them. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So that that is a huge impact on mental health. Yeah. Right? So when it comes to applying a thing like evil to that philosophy... I, I know how to apply evil now in this context because i this is this is what i'm talking about okay so um if we're all the same we should all be self selfless Mm -hmm. so that's good that's positive that's us coming together that's us moving forward so in regards to this my definition of evil would be somebody who's selfish like my birth father like selfishness is bringing nothing because we can talk about my birth father and it's like a prime example like my dad couldn't overcome his addiction Mm -hmm. and now i'm in a home being beaten because he couldn't be selfless enough to get his act together and take care of his son. Now, there's probably many variables going on with my my father couldn't do that. Yeah. But it goes on. Like, I was beaten as a kid. Does that mean I'm going to beat other kids? No. I mean, I, I, I got rough with other kids, but I got rough with them for other reasons. But it's just like, um, if I was beaten by my father, do I have to beat my son? No, I can break the cycle. I can be selfless. Like, I don't have to continue to do that. I don't have to continue to do that evil. Yeah. And you can stop it. But I think when you are evil and you just fall so far in that pit of selfishness, you have to be removed from the body or you have to be cured because it's like a cancer. Mm. Like, you start infecting all the other good cells. Sure. Like, you just have this same ripple effect, but in a negative way. Like, I get beat. I hurt another kid. I get him kicked out of my house. I don't know what house he goes into. He could go into a house where he gets beat way more than, like, the, the house he wasn't going to get beat in, but he scared yeah. me enough to, that I threatened him. Then he goes into another house, and then he gets beat in there, and then he commits suicide. Like, you have no fucking idea what's going to go on. Sure. But it's like an act of selfishness that causes that. Yeah. I think I, that's well said. Yeah. I, I think uh, with that framework, with your philosophical framework, philosophical framework, uh, being someone whose focus is on being selfless, it makes yeah. sense that the the thing that doesn't work in that underpinning is selfish. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense to me. But also, good actions can have bad outcomes too. So, of like, yeah, I'm not dismissing that. If anybody's out there, like, well, I know we have lots of philosophy pre- professors who listen to this show, yeah. so they'll they'll uh, yeah they can email Daniel yeah. at Daniel 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 dot pizza or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you can email me and tell me I'm an idiot, and I'll <laughs> no, say I know. No, we have the sweetest, <laughs> kindest people with huge hearts, so but you'll you, get nothing but kindness. Yeah. So um, another thing that helped me was my mantra because. When I was a kid, I thought I was nothing, and I thought I was no one, and I said those words because I hated myself. Like, I felt abandoned. I felt I was beaten. Um, I didn't have it good, and I felt like nothing. I felt like no one. And yeah. then um, when I was in the 10th grade, my parents bribed me to go to therapy because I think that's when I finally told them what happened because we had this one kid, and I don't really want to get into it too much about the details of him. But he was the last one. And I mean, bless this guy's heart. Like, he had it bad too, but he made it really bad for me. And I had, I had, I was done putting up with other people. 
mm-hmm. who had it bad. Um, and I really wanted him gone. He didn't end up leaving, which is fine. Like, uh, that guy had enough shit to deal with. But uh, I finally, like, came forward and I told my parents. I was like, dude, my life's been fucked up. Like, can you get these kids out of here? Like, this is what happened to me. And it didn't yeah. come out in that kind of conversation. It came out in pure rage. How old were you? I was, I was, like, 14. Okay. But I was infuriated. Um, this, ki- this guy would act up a lot and he would end up leaving the house. He would be screaming. He would be trying to punch my dad. He would be trying to punch my mom. And it was just nonstop. And it didn't really help my PTSD. So I didn't really like that because when that happened, I just instantly wanted to go into fight mode. Yeah. And then at one point, my dad was gone. And my, my dad would never let me intervene with them. But my dad was gone. And I remember he, he was fighting with my mom. And uh, I walked in the room. And I walked in the room intentionally because I knew I would set him off. Just him seeing another person would set him off. And then he threw something at me and then it was done for him. Like he was done. I was, he was sitting on the bed when he threw it at me and I was on the bed and I was only a 14 year old, but I wrestled and boxed and I was, that guy got fucked up in like 10 seconds. And I remember he got off the bed and he was just standing there and he's like, you want to go bitch? And then he was done again. And my dad came home and he like praised me for standing up for my mom and this has always been really conflicting for me because I know I shouldn't feel this way. But then again, I'll go back to the monster. Like, I'm going to feel this way. It felt really good. Like, it felt really good hitting that kid. And I don't think I just hit him. I think I hit everybody who hurt me. I think I hit everybody who abandoned me in that moment. And mm-hmm. I had been waiting for that moment with that specific person just because of all the issues going on in my home that I didn't want. But, um, yeah, my dad told me I should not feel good about that. And that was always conflicting for me. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I think to a degree, I deserve to feel good, but I shouldn't pursue that joy, Yeah, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. But, yeah, I don't feel good about it anymore. But that was a big turning point for me. And then I, like, I, like, looked inward. And I was like, shit, I got to get help. Like, I don't like being this angry. <laughs> like... So you came to that conclusion and then you sought therapy? Um, well, my parents, I like kind of told them what was going on because I, they could tell I was, I was isolating myself more and more and more in high school. Yeah. Um, it got to the point where it was like, I couldn't just bury everything that happened to me anymore, especially with the amount of conflict that was going in the house because I was over it. Like it was done. You like, you can't run from your demons. They're faster than you. They're going to catch you every time. It's like people try and do that and it's like that's not the correct method. Like you need to turn and you need to look at them and you need to accept them and you need to put them where they belong. Like you're not going to get rid of them. You can't get rid of your scars. That's why they're scars. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So you, so you started therapy. Yeah, I started therapy with my therapist and we did this therapy called EMDR and mm-hmm. Tony can touch up on it. It worked really, really well for me. It worked very well for me. Um were they, uh, was your therapist specifically targeting your PTSD? Um, yeah, yeah. That's what it specializes in. It specializes in yeah. PTSD. I wouldn't even consider myself having PTSD anymore, but I wouldn't really know how to rate that. I just know I don't have, I don't overreact, overreact to anything. Gotcha. I mean, Tony will disagree and he might say I'm a little neurotic, but I think, not. <laughs> I think in conflict, I handle myself pretty like pretty level-headed like yeah that seems my that way don't my thoughts don't sway and that's probably because it's like i healed from all the trauma or i hope i healed i'm still probably working on healing 
We all but are. It's like, all yeah. the time. <laughs> but it's like, now in conflict, I'm very level-headed because it's mm. like, I've been here before. Like, I know how to navigate through this. Like, I know what to do and I know what not to do. And I know what's going to work and I know what's going to get me out of here. But yeah, I got to the point where I just wanted to stop feeling sorry for myself in a way. Even though I always said that, like, it's better me than my best friend, Kyle. Mm. Like, it's better me than these guys. Like, I'm so happy it's me and not them. It's like, yeah, cool, dude. But like you'll be happy when you deal with it too. Um, and that's when everything changed in the moment where I was like, I can keep looking back and feeling sorry for myself or I can just look forward and say, what next? And that's what I did. And I didn't do that alone because my parents helped me because they knew I was sad and they were trying to actively find me a therapist. And my computer broke and I loved computers. Computers were my escape. Playing video games always made me feel good. It made me feel safe. What games were you playing? At that time. Uh, I would play StarCraft. I'd play World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Um, I like strategy games a lot, but... Nice. Whatever I could... Like, any other world I could go into, which is probably why I like writing and just... Yeah. Like... I relate to that of, yeah, Like, take me there and get me the fuck out of where I'm at. Like, yeah. I'm going to be happy with that. It's probably why I love comics and, like, Marvel. Oh, yeah. This is just, like conflict and then it gets yeah. dismissed like it gets conquered like <laughs> so easy look at like, these villains yeah. they're, they're getting their due <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's just like they my computer broke and they were like hey if we give you money to buy this part because i've been fixing and building computers since i was in the sixth grade they're like will you go see this therapist and i was just like looking at him and i was like fine like fine you guys are so annoying i'll do it whatever i want my computer fixed and um yeah that was kurt and he helped me change my life his name was curtis very good therapist and know. you started with emdr was yeah it like i started with a... emdr and then my mantra of being nothing and no one became very powerful to me because that was one of the thoughts i focused on and it's like from a philosophical standpoint now it just keeps growing in meaning because it's like i am nothing and no one hmm. and in that i can be whatever and something somebody else around me needs because i can mold it to the whatever they want yeah it's, it's beautiful like, it's, it's a very powerful thing and like in terms of having an ego knowing you're nothing helps you in arguments or well i wouldn't say arguments but it helps you when you talk to somebody and you have discussions so they don't lead to arguments hmm. it's like you can be more understanding like your biggest weapon is neutrality or uh is it neutrality on a situation i'm like looking at the sure yeah, yeah and like being neutral is a very good thing and you find that in being nothing and, like, crushing the ego, which is hard. It's hard for a lot of people because now, uh, yeah, what were you, were you Well, say empathy is a huge part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Empathy is, I, I would argue that empathy is the thing that will change the world. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with that. But still, in that, it's having the ability to be empathetic when you don't want to be, which is even harder. Like, that, mm. it, it's very easy to, to hear me say this stuff and feel empathy for it but if i was the person who hurt you and you heard this you wouldn't feel empathy for me mm -hmm. even knowing what i went through like you wouldn't feel that that would be you would have to do a significant amount of healing to get to that point sure and um i was actually talking with this or about this with tony like a few weeks ago and that's Who's that uh, i was this guy next to me on the instagram <laughs> francie just looking at chicks uh, looking at my feet <laughs> But no, so I was always really mad at my birth mom. I was infuriated with her. I never wanted to meet her. Uh, never. I had no regard for her. 
I'd probably call her a lot of bad names when I was growing up. I probably had nothing good to say about her. She was just scum to me. Yeah. Because she abandoned me. It's like, what kind of mother can't protect their kid? Like, what kind of mother can't kick a man away who's, like, bringing her down to protect her child? Like, I am the totality of her existence to create another human being. And she spit on that and let me go with strangers. But for the first time ever, I, like, looked back on that. And I was just like... Maybe my mom loved me so much, she knew if I went into her house, I was just going to get fucked over more hmm. than anything else that could have happened. And she didn't want to leave, but she knew she had to. Yeah. Like, I think when you find empathy in those situations, your mindset changes so much. Because it's like, if I had carried that with me my whole life, I probably wouldn't have been angry. I probably would have been searching for my mom, who lives in Corona. Like, she just lives down the street. But, yeah, it's like... Being able to get to that point will really, really, really help you. Yeah. Like being empathetic for the person that hurt you the most because they're not hurting you because they want to. They're just hurting you because they don't, they got hurt and they don't know how to deal with it. And like, that's not your fault to be the victim of that. But you can sit there and say, why me? Or you can look at why they got to that point and try and help other people not get there. Or you can try and heal people who are yeah. right where you are. Yeah. So No, that's really well said. And I think a beautiful example of how we can, yeah, find our empathy moments, but also just look at things a little differently, right? Yeah. And, and, and recognize that, you know, maybe it's not about me. And maybe maybe she was going through something that I may uh, not even be aware of, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like those are the types of things like we should all like have running through our brains as we're yeah. interacting with anyone. Because that's also just going to help you problem solve. Like it's going to help you do what I think a lot of people do and they just go, there's something wrong with me or it was my fault or like yeah. what could I have done by being, by looking at it through the other lens of the person who hurt them the most. I think I, I think people listening to your story, Daniel, are are going to be moved and uh, empowered, and and certainly, um, you know, it, you just have such a big heart, and I, I applaud you for the work you've done on yourself in in dealing with that trauma. And I, I want to transition into talking about some of the the ideas you have about your nonprofit and and how that really is intrinsically related to your growing up and your experience um yeah uh that basically comes from everything i said because i just want to be able to help everybody the way i was helped my godparents yeah. came in they helped me um it's, it's pretty simple like i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the connections that i made right i want to give other kids the opportunity to have the connections that i made because i think that'll help them i think if they have somebody who teaches them about what's going on and gives them like a greater emotional intelligence they'll be able to perform better in the world and they sure. won't carry the burdens that they don't need to. And they'll understand why what happened to them happened and like how to go about it from there. But, yeah. We all have to be open to that. Sometimes it's hard to be open to that. But, yeah. Yeah. What, so where are you at in your, you know, I know you want to create a nonprofit. Yeah, where are you at was, in that process? I'm, I'm going to have everything finished in terms of the mission statement and attempted to apply for funding by next Sunday because that was my goal. Nice. Um, yeah, I want to have it done by next Sunday. This week I'm going away for work. So I'm just going to be work. And it's going to be me focusing on the nonprofit. So I'm pretty happy about that. And I think I'll get a lot done. And if I help one kid, that's all I really give a shit about because who knows what that kid can do with the ripples that yeah, it yeah, creates yeah. in the world. So, if I help 10 kids, then great. If I help 100 kids, 
I did I did something good, but the goal is to help one person. That's awesome. So well, I hope it. I I want to keep uh, talking about that. You yeah. Know, you know, off air, and and I'm I'm curious. You know, just keeping tabs on it. I wanna I want to see that business thrive. Yeah. I want to see that nonprofit thrive. <laughs> thrive you know? too. Yeah. I just want to see people thrive. Yeah. Because it's like a lot of shit in the world. Absolutely. be bad. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? I can keep going on the story, but if we're short on time, we're oh, short on time. We're never short on time. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, I don't know why I read this, but mindset. Yeah. Is that a thing you think about a lot? Um. Yeah. And I was talking to Tony about this last night. My mindset was I need to get better so I can change the world. Mm. I, I'm going to change the world. I've changed the world many times. You've changed the world. Tony's changed the world. You guys just don't probably think about how you changed it. But like every person on this world matters. And that sounds so weird because at the same time, like I don't really think that individual is like that elevated mm. compared to another person. But it's like everybody impacts everybody around the world. So you're changing it all the time, whether you want to or not. Hmm. Um, How does that... Uh that mindset that philosophy coordinate with your own christian beliefs um is there conflict maybe there's not no conflict at all i don't know i don't think there's conflict but the thing is i don't call myself a christian which is probably going to confuse a lot of people because i think if you follow a religion that's great but the best way to be an example for that is to live it Mm because like you can say whatever you want in terms of what you are, but I'm not going to hear anything you say over your actions. Cause just words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just words. But no, I don't like to, I don't like to label myself. And I think a lot of my, you heard it here first folks. He's a heathen. <laughs> Daniel's a heathen. Uh, just a, like me. <laughs> I, am a, I am a full blown heretic. We're going to gonna slaughter some goats after <laughs> this recording. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, uh, to Christians, I'm a heretic. My uh-huh. best friends call me a heretic uh-huh, uh-huh. because my views differ from theirs. But I think my philosophy completely lines up with Christianity and religions as a whole um, in terms like the goal. I think Christianity has been painted in this weird picture, and I think that's because of agenda. Kierkegaard has a quote about Christianity, and he says, The Bible's so easy to understand, but Christians are swindlers. And they don't want to acknowledge the truths in it because then they'll have to abide by them. And I don't think the Bible is like interpreted correctly by the majority of people because fundamentally it's just all about love. Like that's, that's all it's about. Like yeah. Yeah. God created us. I believe in God. I a hundred percent believe in a creator, but like right now I'm trying to figure out where that aligns with everything, which is why I'm considered a heretic. <laughs> um, Hopefully they say that lovingly. I don't care how they say it. I don't <laughs> okay. care how they say it. Because uh, Kierkegaard has another thing where he talks about fake faith and real faith. And fake faith is believing in something without ever questioning it. And then mm-hmm. real faith is slamming it. And I think everybody should do that in regards to anything they believe. You should find the opposition and create a stronger argument against yours. And if your argument doesn't hold up, then you better change it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to believe in something that doesn't hold up. Sure. Yeah. Like, why? What is the point of that? But... Yeah, um, I think Christianity is just all about love. Like, I, I don't understand where... Well, I do, and I personally think it comes from, like, agendas. 
Yeah, because people bring to it what yeah. they're already. Believing. And I'll talk about I'll talk about a philosophy. I believe I think when we, um, so I'll say if, and I don't want any of my Christian friends to get mad and be like, "Well, don't say if because it happened." This uh, is the number one Christian podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's because uh, I'm very neutral on anything I talk about because, like I said, I like to take both sides of the argument. But sure. in terms of what I believe too, but let's say, let's say that. Um, when we ate the apple, we were given knowledge of good and evil, but we were only given partial knowledge. I think that would seep into a lot of confusion, and we could say God is love and God is whole knowledge, and we won't understand that until we're with it, him, her, mm-hmm. whatever. Like, until we become whole again, we're not going to have that because we're here and we're limited to partial knowledge. In partial knowledge, you're going to misinterpret everything. Like, I, I don't like the fact that there is division in people with the same goal like why are they divided because they have partial knowledge and they think they're correct and they're casting whatever they think they know and they're not open to the ideas of other people like oh yeah like i don't like that but yeah nor do i yeah so i think that's very unproductive and i think that tears it's people very away unempathetic from, yeah, yeah it's very unempathetic like nietzsche has a quote and he says the biggest thing you can do to corrupt the youth is tell them that people who think differently than them are wrong Oh, you know, our listeners, because this is the number one Nietzsche podcast, yeah. are going to be very happy you said that. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. Right behind Christian podcast. That's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, yeah. he did say God is dead, right? Yeah, but he said God is dead and that we killed him, and then he was terrified because he said nobody was going to know where their morals came from at uh, that point. Yeah. 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 Well, let's let's start wrapping up here. I, I really appreciate you, Daniel, and I... Um, I think we should do this again. I think you have a lot to say, and I, I, I want to catch up maybe next year and see yeah. how you're doing with the, if, uh, the nonprofit. We can do nonprofit if people want the other half of the story. They can get the other half. Absolutely, I'll say I stopped at 16. Uh, life doesn't get easier. I don't know why I looked at my watch because it doesn't <laughs> tell me the date, but um, it's uh, been nine years and shitty things have still happened, but yeah. I'm where I'm at and I'm happy where I'm at. And I have great friends and I have a great family and I have a, I'm a happy guy and I'm going to change the world. I'm so. grateful for that. I, I really am. And I, I want to give uh, listeners uh, a chance to connect with you. But before we do that, we always wrap up the show talking about our empathy heroes. All right. Do you have an empathy hero? Um, Fictional character. Could be an author you loved. Could be someone in your life. You want me to go first? Yeah, you can go first. So, my empathy here this week is a little boy named Sam. Son. He's, he's, he's a corgi. <laughs> he's a friend. He's the, the son of my friends, uh, Becky and Norm. And uh, the other day, he came over here with uh, their dog, Miss Millie Butterbuns. Uh, who's a 11-month-old Newfoundland giant bear of a dog. And he... Huge dog. Huge dog so sweet. Uh, you should meet him, Daniel. Or her, Daniel. But anyways, Sam is such a sweet kid. He came over here for maybe 45 minutes and hung out with me while I was doing stuff around the house. And he talked to me about the books he was reading. He even talked to me... He, he even opened up about how he's been a little bullied at school and stuff. He's just... He reminds me of me in a lot of ways. He's got like a big heart and he's very sweet. And I'm just grateful that um, he is even, you know, uh, in a tertiary way uh, in my life. And so Sam is my empathy hero this week. Um, does my empathy hero have to be a person? No. 
I've uh, used dogs. I, I want to say Samson, but Samson has a lot to learn from the <laughs> lily of the field and the bird of the air because <laughs> that bird of air sings nonstop, doesn't give a shit about who listens, does whatever needs to be done, and doesn't think about what's going to happen tomorrow, just thinks about right now. And that lily in the field is beautiful, just like every other lily. And it's not unique because there's a bunch of lilies, but it still just shines in the sun and it's happy. I mean, I hope it's happy. I don't really know, but whatever. <laughs> Tony, do you want to say anything? Uh, are you? Do you want me to share an empathy hero or just anything? Sure, or what's, why don't you uh, share an empathy hero? Okay. Um, that's a great question now that I suggested it, <laughs> but those were, and now I'm blanking on anybody. It's all right. Uh, who would I, who, oh, we were talking about this person on the way here. Uh, Carl, Carl Rogers, the famous person-centered therapist who, who created the client-led experience, not the therapist-led experience, which we were talking about the importance of, of, you know, empathy and empathic attunement and, uh, Carl Rogers valued the relationship with clients and, and saw them as the experts of their own lives and and saw his his role as catalyst to, to helping people, you know, like creating a relational environment that would help people find their their life and their meaning and their significance. And so, yeah, with Carl Rogers. Nice. So. Good one. Dude, I got to tell you, too, about this really cool book. You guys are going to love it. It's called The Body Keeps Score. <laughs> never heard of it i've never heard of this book tell us Uh, all about it uh i can't i don't even know where to get started i just had to bring it up (laughs) uh i think he's making fun of us he's making fun of us because we we of course brought it up on every tony time and and most episodes of this podcast the first like 30 episodes of this podcast we mentioned it because it's amazing it is amazing one other book i was thinking is as you were sharing your story and i'm not sure we've even ever talked about this book but there's a book um called primal wound and i think it's a great book for anybody who's who's maybe been adopted or or who is dealing with somebody who's been adopted it's um i'm trying to remember who the author is nancy i looked it up i had to cheat nancy newton verrier and once again it's called primal wound understanding the adopted child again it's just a great resource for people who really want to understand you know what it's like to be an adopted child and 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 what that you know, can look like in terms of behavior, relationships, and, and, you know, the way in which the child perceives that experience. So anyway, primal wound. Excellent. Yeah. yeah I'll make sure that link, uh, that book is linked in the show notes, listeners. Daniel, where can people connect with you, learn more about who you are, befriend you, stalk you wherever um only on instagram because i don't have a facebook all right i uh i don't need to get into it but i don't like facebook <laughs> but i just had to say it enough to let people know that i don't like facebook that's fine I don't that's think fair you should be on that website sorry mark <laughs> yeah sorry mark uh i think you should probably go outside but instagram cool. yeah instagram's cool though and my tag is at daniel underscore griffith and that's how you'll find me. Awesome. And I'm going to I'm going to plug something because no one never does it because he's biased. But if you want to listen to podcasts, you can listen to it on Google Play um, and Google Podcasts, and you can write a review there too. That is true. Because some people have Android phones and they use the Google platform, which you probably shouldn't trust either. But whatever. 
I'm glad you bring that up. I I, I clearly have a bias because I use an Apple device, and I am, I, I've not heard of this Android. I'm not, I've not I'm heard not of. I've not, what, I don't even know what Google is, but Google? Uh, clearly I have. I have this thing called Safari. <laughs> I don't. I've I don't been, know. I've been isolating the Google, the Google, the Android people. So apologies to the Android people and Daniel as well. But I know you said that they don't update as fast, and they didn't, but they finally came out. I'm, I don't know why I'm plugging their app. But they came out. <laughs> this is the, the number one Google yeah, podcast. this is the number one don't Google podcast. say I'm in no way at all. Yeah, I'm affiliated. in no way associated with Google. But um, no, they came out with Google Podcasts, and it shows up instantly. Oh, now. awesome. So that oh, that's fixed good. the problem, because I don't have Spotify, and I don't have iTunes, so that was really annoying for me. Well, I'm glad you made it work. I uh, appreciate it. And um, yeah, listeners, you can listen to Yumi Empathy on Google Podcasts. Who so, knew? Who knew? Yeah, I think I did know. I just forgot. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Daniel. Daniel's, and Daniel's losing it. <laughs> <laughs> make, sure, make sure you guys go follow Daniel on Instagram. Uh, anything more to say before I wrap up? No, but if anybody ever needs to reach out, you can always reach out to me on Instagram. And I will always be your friend because if you can do something, you have to do it. Uh, At least in my mind. I love it. If you can make the world a better place and you don't, then you're being a douchebag. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it started very positive, but... (laughs) That was a joke. That was a joke. Okay, okay. We we understand. We still have listeners? Hello. (laughs) Of course, of course. Well... Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Tony, for just sitting and watching your Instagram feed. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and to you listeners, I'm here, you're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Love, love, love. Love, love.